So Eric has been sharing for a few weeks on attracting the favor of God. Has that been good? It's been really good. He's really hit some good issues in our lives. You know, he's talked about pride and humility. Was that painful? Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, it was. Uh, he's talked about honoring others. You know, Jeff Julian did a great message about honoring all kinds of leadership. Um, Eric talked about covenant, and he talked about a whole lot of other things, about attracting the favor of God. Well, today, I want to continue. I want to talk about favor again, but I want to look at the life of Joseph, Joseph, the son of Jacob in the Bible. And in many ways, uh, when you think about Joseph's life, and, and I don't know why God gives me these funny pictures sometimes, but it's, it was kind of like a game of shoots and ladders, <laughs> you know? Um, we're going to be talking about finding the favor, favor in the journey, but who remembers this uh, game? Right, shoots and ladders. Uh, it's a game where you spin the arrow and you see how many spaces you get to advance. Uh, if you land on a ladder, you get to skip ahead a few or even a lot of spaces. If you land on a chute, which, you know, back in the old days, that's what they called those, but it's a, like a slide. Uh, if you land on the slide, you get to go back either a few or even a lot of spaces. And nothing was worse than getting close to the finish line and landing on that terrible long slide <laughs> that takes you almost to the beginning of the game. And so um, I, I feel like Joseph's life was a lot like that. It was like that game of shoots and ladders. He gets ahead, and then it seems like he has a setback. He makes more advancement, and then he gets set back again. And, you know, if we're honest with ourselves our lives are kind of the same, <laughs> right? I mean, I have experienced some moments of real greatness in my life. I, I've had some serious moments where I thought, this is, I'm a rock star finally. <laughs> this is finally happening for me. And then I've had some terrible setbacks, some awful failures, and so just like in Shoots and Ladders, it's never a straight path to the finish line. But when we look at all the ups and downs of the life of Joseph, I think we're going to see a common uh, thread running through his life. And it is this, that he found favor in his journey. And this is my encouragement to us all today. We have favor in our journey. We have favor in our journey. We just have to see it. You know, we all want the favor that puts us in front of kings and important people and makes us lots of money, right? But you know what? Favor doesn't take you from zero to hero in a day or even a month or even a year for those of you who like the Rembrandts. You'll catch on later. Because it hasn't been your day, your month, or even your year. But God's going to be there for you, so don't worry about it. All right? Favor is something God gives us over a lifetime. Favor is something we grow in. It is something we cultivate over a lifetime. And it takes us to places we want to go. And sometimes it takes us to places we would just rather skip or overlook or flat out ignore. Your journey with God, it has favor. Say, my journey, my journey. Has, favor from God. has favor from God. We just don't always see it. So today, I want to look at some of the major events of Joseph's life, and I'm going to cover the whole deal, so that's why we're going to move quick, and I'll, I'm going to talk as fast as I can. But we are going to look at his life in order so that we can help see in our own lives, we can find the favor of God in our own journey. We just need to look in places we maybe haven't looked before. So let's start in Genesis 37, verse 1. 
I'm going to read a bunch, so keep up. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old. Say 17. 17. He was 17 years old and he was pastoring the flock with his brothers. And he was a boy with the sons of Bilah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, of them to their father. He was a little tattletale. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, I, uh, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. That's a fun one. And his brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers. And he said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Can't you wait to hear it? (laughs) Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now, this this is the first time we see favor show up in Joseph's life. And it's the first time in our journey that we can get to see this. Every born-again believer starts with a measure of favor from God. Every every born-again believer starts with a measure of favor from God. The moment we say yes to Jesus, the moment we have faith in Jesus for our soul, God drops favor on our lives. And with that initial free favor comes the discovering of our calling and our destiny. God's plan begins to unfold in our lives. We start to have hope for the future. Remember that day? Remember when you really got saved and you gave it all? You're like, oh, it's a bright, it's a bright world again. We all see our potential in God. We, we dream big. And like Joseph, we feel this unconditional love and pleasure of our Father from heaven. We feel His delight in us, you know, and it's a time where almost all of our prayers get answered, even the ridiculous, silly ones. It's a glorious time of discovery. It's a glorious time of of promise and of upward movement. And so if we were on chutes and ladders, this is our first ladder. (laughs) Tony Stolfus wrote a book. It's called The Calling Journey, Mapping the Stages of a Leader's Life Call. And I'm going to be referring to this a lot today. And he identifies this first stage of God's favor as natural promotion. And so at the first stage of our journey with God and finding out what is our call, how has God called us, what does he want to do with our lives, favor and grace shows up on our natural abilities. It shows up on our gifts once we make Christ Lord. It produces for us a rapid ascent. We feel like we're on the fast track to our calling and life and nothing can stop us. We, we have this sense that God can do anything in our lives. We live on faith adventures. You know, we do crazy stuff. We're like, oh, man, I'm just going to sell everything and, like, travel for Jesus. Probably one of, it was a faith adventure for sure. I had a large collection of secular music when I came to dedicate my life to Jesus. I had every... Van Halen C- uh, uh, tape, not CD. 
I had all of the Led Zeppelin collection, all of, I, I just had so many bands, all of their stuff, even the foreign import stuff, you know. And I'd never forget, I was praying one day at the church all by myself, and I heard the Lord say, I need you to get rid of your collection. And I was like, that wasn't you. <laughs> so God, I need a girlfriend really bad, and I'm praying right now that you send her to me, a really great, hot Christian girl. <laughs> I need you to get rid of your collection. Well, you don't understand how long it took to get that. And we wrestled, and he won. And I was mad. But for me, it was a big step of faith. I had lots of money and a lot of emotional capital and all that music. But when we come into the things of God, we start doing radical stuff for him. It's a beautiful time. No matter, and, and, and the thing is, is that no matter how much we fail and, and, or, or succeed, we always have this unconditional favor to fall back on. This free measure of favor is always there. Because the calling of God on your life never has an expiration date. The dream God has for you, it does not disappear. Romans eleven twenty nine says that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. You were given something, and it's always yours, no matter what you do with it, no matter how bad you fail, no matter how great you succeed. You will always have this first stage of grace on your life. In fact, the only way that you can lose it is you have to walk away from Jesus on purpose. You have to deny Christ in order to lose this measure of favor that God has freely given us. But you know what? This room's full of God lovers, so we're not going to worry about that, are we? So again, the first place we find favor is through salvation and in, then it's in the dreams that God has for us. It comes in the form of grace on our natural abilities. But we also know that we've got to grow in favor. And that leads us to the next phase of Joseph's life. If the favor of God on our natural abilities is like a ladder, then this next stage will feel like a chute or a slide. Starting in verse 12, we have... Uh, Jacob sending Joseph off to see his brothers and how they're doing with the flock. And when Joseph finds his brothers, he ends up finding some serious trouble. So let's read in 17. He said, so Joseph went after his brothers and he found them at Dothan. I have a soundtrack to my. <laughs> Is this a dramatic reading that I'm doing? I did not know. And Joseph went to the, to the field. Da, 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 da. And they saw him from afar. Dun, dun, dun. And before he came near them, they conspired to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of, the hand, out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. That he, and, and he did this, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore them to his father. And so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, they, uh, many colors that he wore, and they took him and he threw him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And, they, and looking up, and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum and balm and myrrh and on their way to carrying it down to Egypt. And then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill their brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. 
And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. The Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. So in the first stage of God's favor, we have his favor on our innate natural abilities for our call. But what we don't have at that point is character. Because what happens when we get anointed on our natural abilities, and it just about happens 100% of the time, we get really proud. Even if it looks like humble bragging. All the self-promotion, you know, the look at me, look at what I've done. Look at what I can do. It leads us down a chute. And so as Joseph slides down this chute, it feels a lot like brutal obscurity. He gets stripped of his special robe, his favorite possession, his favorite position, his rights, his future, and he's carried off to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders. Several weeks later, he's resold to Potiphar. And all of Joseph's thoughts of grandeur are now replaced with thoughts of survival. He's lost in a strange culture with strange gods, an unknown language, and he's forced to do dirty work that he'd always looked down upon. Joseph has now nothing to cling to but God. And this stage is what Tony calls <coughs> the valley of dependence. And then this book, he talks about how after natural promotion, usually after that happens, is followed by a valley season in our lives where our lack of inner formation catches up to us. Many times in our own pride and hubris is what triggers our descent into this valley. Uh, we find favor in the valley of dependence, believe it or not. When we learn that even a divine calling and great abilities and a supernatural gift are not enough. The valley of dependence teaches reliance on God instead of our natural abilities. And when we are down in the pit of the valley of dependence, the part of the human soul that craves self-sufficiency and having life under control is dealt a mortal blow. Now, up to this point in Joseph's life, um, Joseph is the one who's pulling the strings. He's playing the system, and he's planning out his own future. But now he's got a choice to make. Who do I trust for my future? Do I grip tighter to my own abilities? Or do I let go and somehow trust God? Do I lose hope? Or am I going to keep it? Well, Joseph doesn't lose hope. In fact, he clung to God because God's favor was on him. Say, God's favor, God's favor. is on me, God. even in God. the valley of dependence. Now, it may not seem like God's favor was on Joseph when his brothers uh, did what they did. That sure doesn't feel like favor. But let's think about it. What was the original plan? To kill him. But God's favor was on Joseph, and instead of killing Joseph, Reuben spoke up and said, don't kill him, let's throw him in a pit so he could save him later. Think about your own life for a moment. Think about how the enemy has tried to destroy you, tried to take you out. In fact, right now, in this very moment, you could be in a pit. 
And I want to say that the way out is God's favor. But God's favor, it's not about promotion. It's about learning to depend on him. You may be in the valley of dependence right now. You may be wondering if you're going to trust in your own abilities or will you trust in God? God's favor, God's grace, it doesn't always move us farther, faster, and higher. There are seasons in our lives that favor looks like not dying from the current situation. It is true. We're looking at it in Joseph's life. Sometimes favor and grace are present for personal growth. From learning from our mistakes, learning from our pride and our self-promotion. We can find favor even in some of the darkest moments of our lives. And Joseph is in one of those very dark moments. He's a slave in a foreign land. Now when we find favor, God's favor in the valley of dependence, and we let go and allow God to lead us his way, he then moves us into the next stage, the stage of preparation. Genesis 39. Now Joseph has been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down in there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And listen to this. So Joseph found favor in sight and he tended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. And so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. See, as Joseph learns to embrace his circumstances, as Joseph learns to let go of the life he thought he deserved, God's favor and blessing launch him into a second period of upward promotion in his life. <clears throat> his years in the preparation stage are very important. Because it's a time where Joseph learns practical disciplines of successful leadership. For us, this is a time where we learn to take responsibility and lead our own lives and other small things. We have a sense of getting ready for God's future. We live in tension. You know, I have this call, but I'm not yet released to it. In Joseph's situation, his management abilities gain him a position over all of Potiphar's household. And then finally, his life seems at least now, it finally seems somewhat back on track. He's back on a ladder instead of a chute. Now, while Joseph's sphere of influence and responsibility is increasing, this period of his life is more about learning to lead than actually accomplishing his calling. I'm going to say that again. Joseph's sphere of influence and responsibility, it's increasing. But this period of his life is more about learning to lead than actually walking out his calling. 
See, Joseph develops skills that someday will be vital to his destiny role. You know, stuff like managing a household or uh, leading a staff. He's learning about the culture and the language of Egypt. He's learning about how to do business with upper-class Egyptians. And so this formerly uh, pampered golden child is becoming a man of such utter dependability, trustworthiness, and integrity that Potiphar doesn't even feel the need to check up on him. That's awesome. And this is where we see Joseph begin to grow in favor with people. In fact, it literally said that in verse 4. I pointed us to it, that Joseph had favor in the eyes of Potiphar. How did that happen? I can tell you how. Joseph was teachable. Joseph stayed faithful to his given assignments. You know, I can tell you what a difference it makes from raising a leader who is teachable from a leader who already knows everything. People who will serve your vision are very different from people who want to serve their own vision. And because many people believe they're on the fast track to success, they fail to learn the leadership skills and the character qualities that are necessary to lead their own life and calling. And when we don't learn to follow, we never learn to lead. Growing in favor with people usually means serving another person's vision or purpose. And that takes humility. That takes character. And there is a real tension while we are in the preparation stage because we know that we are called, but we're not yet released fully into that calling. And in the midst of all that was going well for Joseph, Joseph still recalls his dreams. You know, I imagine it was probably both a comfort and sorrow to him. And while the preparation season is one of growth, Joseph probably does not experience it as a time of great significance or fulfillment. You know, like Joseph, we must learn to live in the tension of hope. We've got to maintain the belief that a great dream awaits us, while often seeing very little evidence of it in our lives. Sometimes it feels like not even closer in a year from where I was last year. The favor and grace of God that we can find in this season of preparation is a favor and a grace to serve another person's vision without quitting, without complaining, and without undermining the authority over us. God's favor and grace uh, are for being teachable and being correctable in this season of preparation. For learning to be faithful to small things and learning to be faithful with another person's business, another person's ministry, another person's calling, another person's purpose. Joseph was faithful in all of Potiphar's house and the Lord was with him. And he was growing in the favor of God and the favor of people. But his preparation stage isn't over yet. There's still one uh, area of preparation, and it's a very painful one because it comes from betrayal. You see, the next test for Joseph is one that proves the strength of his character. If we read, I'm not going to read it, but Potiphar's wife attempts to seduce Joseph. 
She hits on him. But Joseph rejects her offer. That's character. She didn't like that, so she accuses Joseph of attempting to rape her. Of course, she goes to her husband and tells him, and he becomes furious, and he ships Joseph off to prison. And so now Joseph is back into another difficult season. It's a season that, again, strips him of everything. Once more, he must deal with betrayal, And this time, it comes from his master, who he had flawlessly served. One whom God had blessed through the sweat of his own brow. You know, Joseph could have easily taken Potiphar's wife. But out of respect for God and for his master, Joseph refuses that offer. And yet he still pays the price. How many of us would be saying, I'm quit, God, you're not good anymore? I quit. I did everything right, and this is what I got. We don't realize that we are still in the favor of God, that preparation is still happening. And what we learn is that prison for Joseph is part two of his preparation. Let's read in verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. This is it's Potiphar. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Many times... Things that look unjust or unfair from a human point of view become clearer when looking from God's perspective. From God's perspective, getting Joseph out of prison isn't going to be a problem. I mean, he's already got that plan underway. It's, it's God's plan already to get him out. But the real question is, will Joseph himself be ready for what God wants to give him on the day he's released. You know, we tend to focus on external circumstances that God already has well in hand. While God wants us to concentrate on the real issues, our heart. And at this point in the journey, God is less concerned with where Joseph is and what the job he is doing than, when, than he is with what type of person Joseph is becoming. See, God needs a man who can wield great power under Pharaoh and yet not be perceived as a threat or a potential rival. God is building a man who is utterly dependable, stellar in character, and a skillful leader and manager. And so to, def- to fulfill his destiny, Joseph must be able to confidently take charge of the entire Egyptian economy. All the while knowing he's totally expendable. I mean, think about it. He's a foreigner. He's a former slave. I mean, if there's going to be a fall guy for Pharaoh, guess who it's going to be if this thing doesn't work out? It's going to be Joseph. So now Joseph's in prison, and he's seen a repeat of his leadership role that he had in Potiphar's house. Just like in Potiphar's house, Joseph is now running the entire prison 
And he's doing such a good job that the warden never even bothers to look over his shoulder. Are you seeing how Joseph is still finding and growing in the favor of God? He's still growing and he's still finding the favor of people no matter where he is. Joseph is learning that no matter where he goes, the favor and the blessings of God go with him. Say, no matter where I go, the favor and the blessings of God go with me. Amen. But his preparation season includes one more test, (laughs) more testing before his release. Let's read this in chapter 40. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody, and one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Now, that last sentence should tell us how far Joseph has come. Right? Do, do interpretations not belong to God? Joseph's figured out that the dream realm actually now belongs to God and not to him. And so Joseph goes on to interpret their dreams accurately, but in an act of his flesh, he makes one last dying grasp to try to control his future, and he makes this request. He says, only remember me when it is well with you. Please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. You know, the deep, deep fleshly desire to scheme our way into our calling instead of being content with the season that God has ordained is a hard disease to kill. But God has the antidote. And it doesn't sound like fun, but in Joseph's story, the butler forgets Joseph for two whole years. Two whole years to bring death to Joseph's fleshly ambition. Well, Tony Stolfus calls this the valley of wholeness, where Joseph got forgotten. And it feels like another slide down. In this time of transition, God's favor moves us forward by addressing major character issues which we might not see is connected to our ultimate destiny. Character issues that are in our marriage, our family, our relationships, our financial practices and habits, balance in our life and work, secret sins, or unrefined gifts and strength. You see, working on these things now saves us from being derailed by these issues in our fulfillment years. You know, in the many years that I've watched people navigate their callings, this stage 
Right here is where most of them die. They fail to deal with the inner healing that's required to walk in the fullness of their calling. And because they have had some success in the past, they feel like dealing with their emotional or relational baggage is unnecessary. They perceive it as unimportant because they've compartmentalized their life, believing that what I do in my home or at work has no bearing on my destiny. The valley of holiness, when not taken seriously, is where countless leaders have had moral failures, relational failures, marital failures, financial failures, because they chose not to pursue wholeness in their preparation years. Remember, God's favor isn't always about moving us higher to the next level of success. Sometimes God's favor is on us for transformation so we can handle the future fulfillment of God's plan for our lives. The favor of God in the valley of wholeness should help us let go of our need for our calling and learn to be content with God alone. And the key to navigating the valleys that we go through is dealing with God, learning to deal with God instead of blaming people or our circumstances. Again, I will say most of us, most of us don't find the favor and grace of God in this season because we don't see a need for wholeness. We don't see a need for inner healing. We aren't looking for this kind of favor from God very often until something tragic happens. Something starts to crumble in our lives. Well, Joseph, he got forgotten for two years. He was forced to deal with his fleshly ambition and let it die so he could move into his next season. And Joseph's next season, it came without warning. Thirteen years after he was sold into slavery, Joseph has, again, what Tony calls in his book, he has a day of release. And so Joseph is summoned. He gets a quick shave and a haircut, and Joseph is brought to the palace to make sense of now Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh has a dream about seven well-fed cows, and then after them come seven ugly, emaciated cows, and they devour the seven well-fed cows. Pharaoh has a second dream, and in this one he sees seven healthy ears of grain, and then after them, seven uh, decrepit ears of grain that consume them. And now Joseph's been called to bring an interpretation. And listen, Navigating this transition required a huge risk on Joseph's part. Say huge risk. huge risk. See, after years of being hidden away in a small place with limited influence, Joseph now must believe in what God has formed in him. Joseph must believe that God has put in him what it takes to function on a national scale. You know, Joseph, he could have shrunk back from the risk and he could have stayed in prison. Hey, I'm managing the inmates. I'm the king of the losers. We love those jobs. No pressure. No risk. 
But instead, Joseph takes up the challenge and he interprets the dreams and he impresses Pharaoh so much with his wisdom and his confidence that he is handed now the reins to the entire Egyptian economy. And even more astonishing than that, Pharaoh does not even seem threatened or put off in the least bit by Joseph. I mean, what a contrast from the self-important golden child that he was 13 years earlier with his father. Joseph is now truly a different man. After 13 years of preparation, Joseph enters, again, as Tony Stolfus calls it, his releasing stage. And the releasing stage is, it's an apprenticeship of your call. It's where you function in your calling, but it's in a limited way. And remember, it's usually darkest before the dawn. The day of release, it is a sudden moment that happens many times without warning. So what does favor look like in this releasing stage? Well, God arranges this day for you to show you that he specially loves you. He doesn't bother to tell you about it. He just says, surprise. (laughs) Now, this is the kind of uh, of favor that we all think about when we think of favor from God. Favor with people, you know. Someone famous calls us, hey, I need you to play guitar on the tour. I knew it. I knew it was coming. This is finally the favor of God's on my life. Hey, I need you to, you know, manage a million dollars for me. This is, the, this is it. This is the only favor we, we all hope for, mostly. Many times we get recruited into our calling sphere in this day of release, this time of releasing. We get an abrupt promotion to a larger sphere. Usually function as an apprentice to your calling, often under a more senior mentor or a senior leader. And it's important to realize that God will not allow you to enter your call without risk. And I didn't plan this because my wife gave that word that she gave last Sunday or about risk. <laughs> but it's true. We're stuck because we don't take risks with the Lord. If you want to be released, you've got to take a risk. Because God's favor and God's grace will open these doors up for you. You know, and clearly we can see Joseph had favor with people because Pharaoh was not threatened by him. That's favor. And if this were shoots and ladders, this would be a big ladder that got us almost to the finish. But there's one more chute to navigate. After we experience the favor of God in releasing there's one more shoot. Tony calls it the valley of identity. And in the story of Joseph, he gets reunited with his family. He's been out of prison now for nine years. And now he meets his brothers again, and his heart is thrown into chaos. And we read in Genesis 42... Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to buy grain because there is now a famine that's on the land. Now, Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And so Joseph, he plays into that. And he speaks harshly to them. In fact, he accuses them of being spies. Which, by the way, all that behavior by Joseph tells us that he still has a wound in his heart concerning what they did to him. 
And so this encounter with his brothers throws him into the valley of identity. Joseph now has to decide, again, what kind of man is he going to be? Is he going to be a man of vengeance? You know, because once, uh, before, uh, they had power of numbers. His brothers just took him, threw him in a pit. But now, Joseph has the power of kings. With one word, he could sell his entire, all his brothers into slavery, just like they did to him. But the Bible says that Joseph remembered his dreams that he had when he was a teenager. And he realizes that he is something more. But that inner struggle, it was still there with his brothers. And so at first, he reacts out of hurt. He calls them liars. And then eventually when they do lie to him, because they claim that he was dead, you know, they talk about him, they don't know it's him, but they're like, he's dead, Joseph's dead, our younger brother. So they lied. When they do lie to him and they claim he was dead, Joseph throws him into prison. And it seems like vengeance is maybe going to get the upper hand. But three days, three days later, Joseph has God begin to deal with him. And he releases his brothers so that they can prove that they have changed. Now, ultimately, Joseph was faced with choosing between what he was doing or becoming who God had made him to be. You see, in the valley of identity, our life messages start to come clear. We move from being a person doing to a person being. And we start to understand who we are and really what our life story is really meant to be about. And many times that takes uh, another big risk with God. So when we're in the valley of identity, what does favor look like there? It's a focus that's going to move us from just doing to being. A lot of times we're stripped of our identity from uh, work or a job or a position. We're stripped of our accomplishments and how others perceive us. This happens, you know, I, I say I built a business and then it went bankrupt during COVID. Spent my whole life building that thing and now I've, I've lost all of my accomplishment. I'm no longer a successful business guy. That happens in the valley of identity when you go from this is what I did to this is who I am. We learn to have a healthy detachment from our call. We, we learn that we can live without it because why? Jesus alone, he's enough. We start to find success in the success of others instead of in our own accomplishments. I love being around people who are bragging about other people. Sure, send me the report of your life, but tell me about someone else's life. And then we learn to present ourselves as who we really are in God. And that sounds cliche. It is very difficult. Our identity and who we are starts to really come forth and who we are. And so the valley of identity is what brings Joseph's life message to full fruit. This is the place where our life message starts to solidify. Joseph, in his story, he expresses his life message later in his life when uh, his father Jacob is near death. In fact, his, his dad's dying and his brothers are now fearful that once their father is gone, Joseph's going to turn on them and finally take his revenge. 
And when Joseph hears their cries for mercy, it breaks his heart and he breaks into tears. He is so deeply grieved that they still don't know who he is, nor do they understand the meaning of his life story. And so he finally tells them the meaning of his life story, the meaning of his message. Can anyone guess what that is? It's in Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Everything Joseph went through in his life led to this life message. You meant evil against me. God meant it for good to preserve many people alive. This is so powerful, we still are talking about it. Our, out of the valley of identity, our life message comes fully alive, and from there, we move into the place of fulfillment. Tony calls it the fulfillment stage. In the fulfillment stage, Joseph, he got reunited with his father and his family. He preserves them all, and he preserves all of Egypt. He has the favor of God, and he has the favor of people now on his life completely. When Jacob dies, Joseph asks Pharaoh, he says, If I have found favor in your eyes, please allow me to go bury my father in Canaan. And Pharaoh says, Yes. The fulfillment stage has great favor on it. So what does it look like for us? A lot of times it looks like rapid promotion, favor and open doors to larger influence. The development of a convergent role that brings our best skills and strengths to bear um, to convey our life message. And convergent role means it took, it took the best of the, this part of me in this area of my life, and it takes the best of me in this area. And it just takes all of the best things that I have learned and grown and experienced, and it brings it into this one role that really bears out my life message. A lot of times we move from organizational influence to a real personal um, personhood kind of influence. Things like coaching or mentoring or even writing. Your role may offer fewer responsibilities, but you have a larger influence. Formation in the valley of identity is the basis for this type of expanded impact in your life. We start to develop clarity between doing and our being. We end up learning how to work with God instead of for Him. We start to develop an urgency to make the most of the years that we have left because this usually happens later in life, these fulfillment years. And so we start thinking beyond my own life and, you know, how awesome am I and how powerful am I moving and doing things. And we start thinking about the next generation. And then we experience this overwhelming joy and inner peace of a life well lived. See, Joseph's life message came to pass fully in his fulfillment years. And it was God's unique revelation through Joseph's life. See, Joseph did not just simply complete a task by being reconciled to his family and by saving uh, the nation of Egypt. In the middle of that struggle with his family, he gained an incredible revelation of the identity of God. Joseph got to know a God who redeems everything. 
He got to know a God who is so good and so sovereign that he can take the worst that life throws at you and turn it into good. And by internalizing that God identity and living it out with his family, it became his life message. See, the, the, the role of, you know, this outward role of being a ruler, that was not Joseph's call. So much as it was just the channel through which his calling and his life message was expressed. Joseph found favor of God at every stage of his life. Every stage. And that favor performed different functions at different stages. But growing in the favor of God and people brought him all the way through to the fulfillment of his life message. And that's what God has intended for us. So here's some things I want you to do this week. like you to spend some time in prayer and I want you to ask the Lord what favor looks like in this season of your life. And then when you're doing your quiet time this week, devotion, whatever you do, I want you to ask these questions. I want you to actually come up with real answers. I want you to ask yourself, what does Joseph's story mean to me right now? I want you to answer the question, how will my life be different now that I've heard this and I've studied Joseph's life story? And then I want you to answer the question, what is God saying to me through this story? Then answer the question, what does the application of this message look like in my life? And then finally, what are you going to commit to do as a result of this message today? You can walk away today and go, wow, that was, that was pretty cool. And do nothing with it have no idea what season of life you're in, what God's favor looks like, or you can take and apply this. Once you do this, I want you to share it with somebody, a friend, someone you're discipling, someone you're meeting with. I want you to talk through this. So they can hold you accountable to what you're committing to do. Because we all want to grow in favor, Amen. If you would stand up, we're going to pray. Father, I just thank you that we can look at those who have gone before us and we can see how you deal in our lives. So today, God, I'm asking that we would worship you because we have favor. Above all, God, today I want to walk away just saying I worship you because you gave me favor, because I have favor on my life, no matter how terrible it feels. That's what Jesus did for us. Free favor, free grace, and so I just want to worship and say thank you. And I didn't deserve it, but I thank you, God, that I have it. And now, Father, I pray that we would take this, this journey, that, God, you would open our eyes right now. Open the eyes of our heart, our understanding. God, let the spirit of wisdom and revelation be here. And open our eyes 
so that we can see the favor that is on us in the season that we are in. That we would stop thinking about how bad we're losing and start seeing where you're moving us, God. How are you growing us? How are you transforming us? I pray right now, God, that we would be people who would find your favor that's already present. So God, I bless this family. I bless our online family, God. I thank you for revealing truth. And I pray, God, that as we go, that we would, we would stop thinking like we're the tail and start thinking like we're the head. We would stop seeing ourselves as losers and failures. That we would see who we really are through your eyes, God. Because you have favor on us. And so we thank you, Father, for what you've done through Jesus for our lives. And I just want to say that if you're here today and you, you, you have never accepted Christ and you've never received that unmerited favor that I've been talking about today, now is that moment. I'm going to ask the altar team to come up at this time. If you would come forward, altar team. When I dismiss this this morning, if you are here and you've never accepted Jesus, but you said, Tom, I need that favor on my life. I'm ready for that favor. Then you need to come forward and meet with one of our prayer teams and give your heart to Jesus. Don't walk out of this building and not give and surrender your life to Jesus. I'm not promising you an easy life. I'm promising you a fulfilled life that comes through ups and downs. But Jesus as Lord is going to get you through it. It is a life of hope. And it is a life of breakthrough. So when I dismiss this here in a few minutes, if you've never accepted Jesus, I want you to come and reach out to one of our prayer teams. If you're here and you still need prayer for something, if you need more prayer, if you didn't get prayer for your knees and you need that prayer, you come down after when I dismiss this. If you need healing in any part of your body, come down and get prayer. So Father, we seal this time. We thank you, God. That salvation is even going to reach hearts today, God. Whether they're online or they're in this house. Just confess your sins. Just tell God your sins. Just say, these are the sins that I've committed against you, myself, and others. And I accept Jesus. I receive him as the son of God. And the, the, the one who paid the penalty for my sins. It's it. So we say thank you, God. We love you, and we seal today in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, amen. amen. God bless you, and walk in the favor of God.